0: Hi, I'm Jason Nias, along with Natalie Wires from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started and lessons they've learned that have gotten them where they are today and what they believe is the future of online shopping. Hi, this is Jason. Our guest today is Brian Walker, Chief Strategy Officer at Bloomreach and the host of the State of Commerce Experience podcast. Uh Bloomreach powers over 20% of commerce search and customer experience online in the United States and in the UK. Brian, welcome.
1: Jason, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Good to talk to you again.
0: Wonderful. Well, I we certainly appreciate it and uh for our listeners, Brian is one of the single most influential people in commerce. uh, And he has extensive background being at places like Amazon, Forrester, and now he's the chief strategy officer at Bloomreach. Brian, could you give us a a few kind of highlights of of your experience and how you've gotten to the position you're in today?
1: Well, I don't really want to bore the listeners with draining my whole CV. Um, it's, it's you know, just even the e-commerce portion of it gets back a long ways and a lot of different stops along the way. Definitely had the good fortune of meeting a ton of great people, learning from a lot of great people along the way. Um, my first sort of job in e-commerce was actually running a small B2B business where really 1997, we were going online. I suffered from the same sort of challenges businesses suffer from today. Lots of channel conflict, you know, my salespeople who were calling on schools because this business was focused on the academic market, you know, walked out on me because they were so threatened by launching an e-commerce business. Ultimately, um, I did leave that business partly because the ownership were just not really committed to transforming their business. (laughs) Not a surprise. Um, And I went to Eddie Bauer where I was fortunate enough to become a part of the team that launched eddiebauer.com. I'd uh, worked for Eddie Bauer in the past as a, an assistant buyer. I'd sold to Eddie Bauer for a number of years as a vendor. And, uh, and they gave me the opportunity to come back and be a part of this, this great team Um, learned a ton. We had a ton of great advantages as a, as a company that was already omni-channel. Successful large catalog business with stores and contact centers gave us a ton of advantages as we really trialed and piloted and perfected um, how to sell sportswear and and apparel uh, online. I then left, um, ended up over at Amazon. I was a part of the part of Amazon that was selling the platform to other retailers to use, like Target, Borders, and Toys R Us, and Marks and Spencer, and think everyone kind of knows how that flamed out. But again, gave me a tremendous opportunity to learn uh, uh, from the inside the special sauce of Amazon. I, I had to work cross-functionally across all these crazy amount of teams, the two pizza teams, like I ate a lot of pizza, <laughs> you know, uh, trying to marshal all these different uh, groups together to deliver solutions for third-party retailers. And that was also really interesting to see how different the mindset was of, of, of Amazon inside versus traditional retail, just simple things like segmentation based marketing inside Amazon. That was like ridiculous. Uh, of course, every retailer wanted to do it. Amazon's like, that's stupid. And I would say, well, it doesn't matter if we think it's stupid or not, that's how they run their business, right? <laughs> um, and then I skipped over to Forrester. actually I did a startup in between, but then I ended up over at, at Forrester. Um, and that was just a great way to like uh, see the whole market. And that was why I did that. Long story short, i uh, spent five years at Forrester, loved it, um, but I ended up deciding I wanted to get back in the game instead of just cover the game. So. Ended up over at Hybris as chief strategy officer before SAP acquired Hybris. Uh, Went through that whole crazy growth of Hybris at the time. And then, of course, went through the acquisition and continued to grow it inside SAP. Left there, went to Accenture, and now I'm over at Bloomreach. So it's been a long trajectory. I tried not to hit every stop along the way, but it's been quite a career. Um, Again, very fortunate to have met so many smart people and have a network that I can that I can leverage today to figure out what's going on out there.
0: That's a tremendous. You know, our paths first crossed back in probably 2010, maybe a little later, uh, when you were at Forrester, and we were always so impressed at the holistic view and the research you had done on us and our competitors, what the market would say about us. Uh, We thought you were one of the best analysts we've ever done business with. And then we were surprised to find out at the time, Hybris was a competitor of ours, that you had went there. Uh, mm-hmm. Normal normal course of business, it's uh, stuff analysts do all the time, but we were very jealous uh, because of, of how strong and smart and how well you knew the market. I personally uh, remember speaking to a colleague of mine, James Gagliardi, saying, oh man, you went to Hybris. It's only a matter of time before SAP buys them. <laughs> because of, because it was a rocket ship, because you were such a good strategy guy, it's all about positioning the right product for the right market. Uh, so yeah, tremendous success there and feathering your cap for sure, Brian.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it very much.
0: Yep. So obviously we're recording this podcast in call it late April, early May, and uh, we're right in the thick of, of the COVID-19 stuff. I would love to hear... Uh, kind of your take as to what you're seeing in the market, kind of put your old analyst hat on. Uh, What are some examples of companies who are making the pivot or to this direct or online or e-commerce experience in the heart of COVID? Are Are you seeing anything in the industry right now that is interesting that people can learn from?
1: Well, I do think it is, you know, first of all, I would say pivot right now. Not so much. Uh, what I would say is that the businesses that had, had already kind of prepared and and invested in their, you know, online and digital commerce experiences are, are benefiting tremendously. There are certainly a ton of examples of tactical things that businesses have found a way to do very quickly that was taking them years to figure out before. And I'm talking about things like in-store pickup or, or curbside pickup, even more importantly. And, and those businesses that have implemented that are seeing tremendous uh, return from it. The reality is that um, you know, our clients, at any rate, are seeing tremendous growth online. Um, in some segments of the, of the market, you know, well over 100% growth year over year. And these are large businesses that we're serving. So this is a tremendous um, inflection point. In some categories, not quite to that level. Uh, depending on the week we're looking at, you know, we might be trending anywhere between, say, twenty percent to seventy percent year-over-year lift. Now, as the crisis kicked off, I think we saw, you know, some lumpiness, right? We saw the sort of the interesting, uh, behavior of pantry stocking and searching for products that you would use to protect your family, disinfect, you know, things, um, protect your, your, your employees and what have you. So masks, disinfectants, so forth. Um, and, and certainly that pantry stocking, um, you know, saw massive spikes in categories like grocery and general merchandising. Um, you could see in the search behavior, people were searching for those same kinds of products that we could not find, including toilet paper, <laughs> across almost every site. Um, now we've seen kind of more of a stabilization. So, you know, business overall is sort of trending still up in e-commerce across almost every segment. Even in uh, segments where t- sales were a little bit down, like luxury, traffic is way up, and I think it's just people searching for uh, for salute you know, products that are on sale, most of the time searching for brands in the case of luxury but you know the 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 reality is um, you, know, um, you know the consumer is flocking online not just for essentials any longer they're looking to be you know distracted from being bored um, they're looking for things that they, that connect to what they love to do. Uh, even if it's stuff they can't do right now. Um, you know, I bought a new fishing vest. I can't go fishing. Um, strangely enough, the lakes and national and the state parks are all closed. Um, I don't know that the uh, that the fishing uh, uh, you know uh, boat launch is necessarily a place where we have to worry about people congregating in vast numbers, but nonetheless, it's true. So, people are, are are shopping for apparel, they're shopping for sporting goods, they're shopping for home improvement in a massive way as we invest in our gardens, in our outdoor spaces. Obviously, trying to take advantage, hopefully, of some good weather. Um, you know, and they're shifting spending that they may have been spending in other places before, like eating out, like travel, parts of the of the economy that unfortunately have been largely shut down, but we are seeing these massive spikes. Now, one other thing to share would be that, um, you know, a lot of the media is talking about how, yeah, it's the retail apocalypse. Um, and obviously there are businesses that, that are seeing uh, tremendous impacts to their business. We also though do have customers who don't really want to be named publicly, obviously for this, but they're telling me that, Hey, we're comping our category sales across our entire business with online only. Um, Stores are shut or they're trying to use them for curbside pickup or buy online pickup and store only. Um, So a lot of that business may be fulfilled out of a store, but the demand is being transacted online and it kind of goes against what we want to be talking about right now we do want to get back to a return to normal i feel for everyone who's been impacted in terms of their jobs um you know my my daughter was working retail uh, as a young adult and she of course was furloughed Uh, i feel for everyone who's been impacted by that but i think it's impossible not to also recognize the fact that e-commerce is 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 really kind of shining right now and the businesses that were prepared for this you know fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it are able to to, to respond in a way that, that may make up for most of the gap or even all of the gap uh, in their overall business.
0: That's amazing. so you're, you're hitting on it already, but I'll keep leading the witness a little. What are the changes that are happening now? that have effectively fast-forwarded the market and and some of the things that are going to be the new standard, the new expectation. Can you share some of your thoughts? I'm kind of asking you to tap your old forester yeah. roots and yeah. give us some predictions.
1: Yeah. Well, I think um, a lot of people are sort of speculating. No one obviously really knows, but we just did get some really fresh, fresh data in from some... Um, some research that we sponsored, uh, actually done by Forrester, but a very comprehensive study. What's also interesting about this research that we'll be publishing very soon is that we were really just about done collecting all of our survey data across U.S., U.K., and Germany, um, surveying both B2C consumers, B2B customers, and all the businesses that serve them. So pretty comprehensive. We were just about done when the COVID crisis really kicked off. And uh, I can tell you, um, you know, I I recognize that 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 research was pretty worthless, given how tremendous this impact is, unless we could understand the change. So we resurveyed. So now we have a really accurate sort of before and after picture. Um, About 50% of consumers are buying in categories they've never bought online before, of course, including grocery, but many others, actually. A lot of consumers who never bought before are buying even for the first time. Kind of hard to believe if you've been in this business as long as we have, that there's still consumers out there who haven't really participated. But certainly in categories that they're not used to buying in, they're buying in droves. Not just essential products. Again, that's a bit of a a media meme that is not really true. We're all a little bored. Um, We're all um, looking for comfortable clothes, apparel, right? shorts. Uh, jogging suits, <laughs> you know, tank tops, um, you know, are trending very, very high, um, you know, so that the the inventory mix of what we're interested in, of course, has changed. Yes, we're stocking up on groceries and essentials and disinfectants and things to protect ourselves in this crisis, but we're also buying everything else. In fact, kitchen and home, of course, way up as people look to become more comfortable. Um, desks, way up as people try to Get, get a better homework uh, setup, right? Um, uh, situated for themselves, knowing that they're going to be in this for a little bit of the long haul. Now, everyone is speculating how fast does this return to normal once this is over? Well, unfortunately, everything that I'm reading, and I've been reading a lot, trying to understand, just like everyone else, right? What, what's likely to happen? Um, I think the the reality is we're in this for some period of time, maybe a year and a half, maybe two years, where, yeah, we'll have an easing of the lockdowns and stay-at-home orders and so forth. There will be some return to some degree of normalcy. We probably won't have stadiums full of people. We probably won't want malls full of people. We won't want public transportation jam-packed full of people anytime soon um, consumers are not going to feel comfortable going into stores anytime soon. Right. Even with masks on, I know that I've had to go out and I uh, did do some home improvement stuff. So I had to go to the hardware and lumber yard, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a comfortable experience to be masked up, gloved up, protective eyewear. And then you're looking around you're like, why are you wearing a mask, dude? You know, <laughs> exactly. On, you know, um, like, you know, <laughs> this mask isn't for me, it's for you. So you need to wear one also, right? Kind of deal. This is not a public service announcement, but anyway, uh, <laughs> the, uh, so for consumers, it's not going to be a good experience anytime soon. Now, what it does work really well is if I can drive up right. And, uh, and have you, um, have you quickly loaded into the back of my truck or in my trunk and off I go. That's actually a really good experience. Uh, so that kind of curbside pickup, buy online, pickup in store, or of course delivery is the new normal. It just is, right? Yep. And of course customers are buying in categories that they've never bought before. Um, you know, I taught my mother-in-law uh, how to buy her own groceries online. And she said, I'm never going to the grocery store again you know, she's 88 years old. She's like, probably never going to the grocery store again. Of course, you know, we could be, have a little bit of dark humor about that, but nonetheless, um, that kind of thing is happening all over the marketplace. So what I expect to happen is the, the reality is somewhere between where it was and where it is now. I don't expect e-commerce to continue to be on this tear that it is obviously as, as we, as consumers or B2B can, um, can kind of, you know, return to some level of normal behavior over the next year and a half, but it's not going to go back to the way it was before. That is clear.
0: I think that's true. A couple of things to comment on in response. So, uh, here at digital river, we are, and we, we are feeling incredibly lucky and blessed to be working in the industry. We're working on because our clients are the, you know, benefiting from the work from home economy. Yeah. And, uh, as you described, we we help sell companies. We sell chairs and software and mice and all those kind of things. So couldn't agree more in that in that observation. The second point that I'll connect to is experience. And it really relates back to where you're at now at Bloomreach. You guys are experience makers. and yeah. And so what I heard you say is, people's expectations are going to change the way they want to interact with the brands are going to change. They're going to still want the goods and services. They just now have a different expectation of how they're going to get them.
1: Yeah. I think the, uh, our research, um, that I mentioned earlier bears this out. I think what's really important to recognize though, the basics, the table stakes of what makes a great commerce experience online is, is more true now than ever before. So don't make the mistake that oh, to upgrade my experience, it's all beautiful pictures and fancy new UI that no one can figure out how to use. It's the opposite. Customers are using search to basically do all of their shopping now. The percentage of traffic that search represents right now is higher than it's ever been. Um, They want effective search, they want great merchandising. Personalization can be super helpful both to the consumer and obviously the business as well, but not just product recommendations. It has to be around personalizing around relevance and contextualization of what the customer is trying to achieve right in that visit. But everyone's really turned into spearfishers, right? Um, they're looking very specifically for things, whether that's essentials or things to take care of their family or their employees or whatnot, or even looking for things on sale, right? In the luxury category, just to take sort of an oddball category, right? people aren't searching for products, they're searching for brands, but they're not navigating, they're searching, right? So, um, so it's just a very interesting thing. Now, brands and retailers do need to connect emotionally with their customer as well. So it's, it's also about making sure you are paying attention to how to inspire and convey something that is kind of an emotional connection, which we all kind of need in some way as well. Um, especially during this time. So both are important, but those table stakes about what makes a great sort of typical commerce experience, great search, great product information, you know, um, a seamless, frictionless checkout and ordering process. Those are all the basics, right? Great SEO and things like this.
0: Can you introduce us to BloomReach? Yeah,
1: I mean, just in a nutshell, um, BloomReach is a, a digital experience platform, but it's purpose-built for commerce experiences. So we have search, we have merchandising, we have a bunch of personalization capability, we have content management modules, we've got some great SEO tools. We tend to sit on top of a commerce platform, many of which today are moving to headless platforms. We integrate with them very seamlessly. We ourselves are a headless platform. Most of our customers are implementing one of these new, you know, open framework front ends like React or Angular or whatnot. Um, so we can power really any digital touchpoint. We have customers who are using us for for voice and in store and contact center and IoT scenarios and so on. But of course, most of our customers are using us to power their web and app based experiences. Um, and our secret sauce is really this very proprietary commerce data set and machine learning capability that we bring to the table. And that's where most of the ROI and, and benefit from the platform comes from. You know, typically we're going to raise a uh, a client's re- uh, revenue through their digital channels anywhere from between five and 10%. And that's the AI that's really driving a lot of that. We do help teams become more efficient though as well because uh, we have a really great business user UI, kind of takes the developer out of the middle of a lot of the routine tasks. Uh, and then it's it's agile because it's all API based. So in a nutshell, we tend to sit on top of, of various other, you know, parts of your legacy technology or, or new investments you might be making in, a, in, a, in newer commerce platforms. Um, and then enable the customers to, to, to really, you know, manage and unleash this uh, relevant contextual experience out to their customers.
0: Give us an example. Give us uh, some some example customers. I, I know Bloomreach very well. You guys are world class you keep a really great roster of clients. Can you share with some names with our listeners so they can get a feel for the types of company you keep?
1: Yeah, I mean, we serve companies from very large online businesses like Staples in the U.S. or Next in the U.K., right, to grocers like Albertsons, uh, which, of course, they're, they're benefiting a lot from the platform right now, down to branded manufacturers like Page Denim or specialty retailers like Eddie Bauer and The Gap. We also have a lot of B2B companies um, in our, in our portfolio as well. Everyone from MSC to Watsco. And so, you know, we, we really span the gamut of, of retail branded manufacturers going direct B2B manufacturers and B2B distributors. We tend to work with larger enterprise customers. So, you know, if you're, Hundred million plus in online revenue, you know, you're going to get a big ROI lift out of Bloomreach, and chances are we could solve some problems for you. If you're a mid-market customer, you know your traffic levels and and your revenues, right? it maybe maybe a little less, and you're more likely to probably use a kind of out of the box type solution. But um, but nonetheless, you know, we um, yeah we kind of span the gamut. We have got quite a nice roster of over 300 very large enterprise customers.
0: Yep. Uh, I'm impressed with, you know, some of the brands like Puma or, mm-hmm. or, you know, others that you guys keep. So just, just a world-class roster of clients. You know, you earlier in the, in the podcast, you referenced a weekly, I guess, is it a call, a webinar, a WebEx? What, what is mm-hmm. it that that it is and how would our listeners be able to kind of listen in and, and get up-to-date information?
1: Yeah. So, um, it's a weekly zoom call, 9am Pacific time on Mondays. What we do is we take the previous week's Commerce uh, data, we crunch it over the weekend. We got a great team of analysts over in Bangalore, India, who uh, do a great job of processing that data. We throw some insights, try to create some good visualization for for all of it, and then we share it out on this Monday morning call, 9 a.m. Pacific time, and and you know then of course we do blog it, so you can go to our website. I think it's coronavirus e-commerce. Updates or something like that. If you go to our website, you'll be able to find our blog posts and also uh, recordings from from previous weeks. You probably don't want to go back too far, but if you want <laughs> to hear my commentary on uh, on what we're seeing, you can you can listen to those as well. And then weekly, you know, feel free to dial in. You know, and if if you can't be there live, that's totally fine. Maybe just check out the recording or, or blog post. But we're trying to use it really just to share out that you know it's not all doom and gloom um, we're not happy about why this happened but we need to recognize the opportunity um, for businesses to continue to thrive and even grow uh, during this period and then to start anticipating what does this mean next right and um, I think it's just Uh, hopefully it's it's informative and interesting we try to keep it to 30 minutes and kind of pack it full and then at the end we usually share some tips and and things that we're seeing from customers and things that they're implementing um like you know surfacing inventory availability within search results so you can filter by local store inventory and things like that just ideas that people might take away um and want to run
0: with yeah that's wonderful and and if you don't want to listen to the recordings, there is, you guys do a great job of publishing some of the data, the Mm -hmm. traffic, the sales and the search trends by vertical. Yep. And so people can really interact with it, even in a very casual way.
1: Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Just follow me on LinkedIn and you'll probably get that weekly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. So we'll
0: we'll put in our show notes, the link to the coronavirus e-commerce updates, uh, so people can interact with it as well but it's a really good resource. Thank you guys for putting that out.
1: Absolutely. Another thing that we're doing is we have also started a podcast. I think episode five launches tomorrow. Of course, as we record this in, in late April, um, encourage people to check that out too. state of commerce experience is the name of the, of the podcast. And really we're just bringing on on guests again, I'm sure, drawing from this network of people I've met. Uh, covering a range of, of things from around the world of, of commerce, different industries, different perspectives, points of view um, on, on the industry. Um, and, you know, we've had so far, we've had uh, an old friend of mine on to talk about, you know, global e-commerce in Nigeria and Saudi Arabia oh. and India and Indonesia and South Africa. And, you know, it's like very hard for Americans or even Europeans to really understand that. We've had uh Brian Beck on pretty pretty well known probably to your audiences yeah uh, we uh, about we, we just
0: we just had him on yesterday oh, well, we, there you go. that podcast he's, will go out shortly.
1: he's making the rounds he's making the podcast rounds, okay uh, <laughs> shout out to Brian um, old friend uh the podcast that launches tomorrow is is John Rossman, an old friend of mine from Amazon, one of the leading authorities in the market on on everything Amazon written three three really quality books and uh you know we go deep on what you can understand and learn from um and maybe take away from uh how amazon operates um in addition to maybe some things that you might not want to duplicate but (laughs) but nonetheless that was a great conversation too so a little bit of a podcast plug if you don't
0: mind no i love it i was gonna ask you to do that my show notes that's perfect (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things I've actually followed you for a long time, as well as some of your other former Forester people, yeah. you know, like Peter Sheldon and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always curious as to who people like you follow. Who are the influencers that you track to say, ah, okay, I can learn something from him or her. Certainly
1: I'm very fortunate, as I said earlier, to have um, met so many great people from the partner community uh, from people I've worked with in the past, analysts, of course, that I worked with or competed against back in the day. Um, I think it's also interesting to try to stay current and continue to reach out to people who may be a generation younger than me who grew up really as commerce and complete digital natives. I mean, I'm one of the few who, who are in this industry that actually had a pre-internet career. <laughs> you know what I mean? I um, mean, But nonetheless, I think it's really important to also try at your best to understand how uh, younger people in this industry or people from other cultures and countries view this as well. So I try to also talk to people from China uh, relatively frequently. And Hendrik, who I mentioned was on the podcast, is another example of somebody I would talk to to try to understand what's going on in some of these other markets that I'm just not that visible to. I'm not experiencing as a consumer because a lot of times, you know, in many cases I should say they're out ahead of us in some of the innovation, especially China, for example, where they have some local constraint that leads to some other type of adaptation, like in Nigeria, as an example, in a city like Lagos, they don't have addresses, you know, they use GPS wayfinding to try to figure out how to get the delivery to the customer. Right, And there's a lot of back and forth texting that goes on in that last 100 meters to figure out where the consumer is. And then there has to be some validation. And they don't want to be carrying cash either, so they text message the funds upon delivery when they finally hand them over. So anyway, just things we can learn from other markets. Wow, um, I've been in this business long enough that people that I used to compete against are now partners or close friends um, so I just try to rely on that network of, of talking to people and certainly customers of course as well to try to understand what's happening and take advantage of a lot of a lot of big ideas I think right now it's a very interesting time um, I think there is a lot of interesting speculation um, articles out there about what what we can believe may happen as a result of coronavirus, whether it's in e-commerce or other parts of our culture and society, or even in politics, none of us know. (laughs) know, None of us really know. So it's such a dynamic period of time. I think it is interesting to recognize, and I've been trying to tell my, my kids this, they're young adults now, one of which is just about to graduate from college. Great time to graduate from college right now. That's kind of a tough
0: experience, yeah.
1: But what I said was, everything is up in the air, right? This is when innovation happens. This is when market share shifts. This is when, out of necessity, things happen fast that sometimes become the new normal. Um, And so, if anything, you got to look at it as an opportunity as much as it is like a tremendous blow to the economy and to a lot of individuals, uh, which of course we have to be empathetic to, but it's a time of great opportunity as well.
0: I totally agree with that. And, and uh, I guess my condolences probably the wrong word to your kid having to go through such a, be, an amazing event. Yeah, she'll be fine, but she is missing <laughs> out on a pretty big, she, on a pretty big moment in her life. But uh, yeah, you know, this whole, this whole generation of kids, I, I, I've always, not always, I've said recently, I think, this generation of kids will probably be called the coronials because of the mm-hmm. coronavirus implication. That have, you no, have you trademarked Now you tried- can have it. You have more followers <laughs> than me. You do it. Um,
1: I think um, I think that's that's largely true. I think you know it's kind of interesting how um, these these young adults um, have really gone through a tremendous amount. Um, just looking at an American of this age have really gone through a tremendous amount. Um, you know, she was pretty young when nine 11 happened, but she remembers it, you know, and then everything that's happened since, um, you know, in and sort of a period of stability, sort of expecting things to be a certain way in the last say four years. Um, it's like everything went upside down and, um, very interesting. Um, or millennials who who kind of want to say, Hey, I don't catch a break right now. Um, you know, graduated college as the economy hit a dip, you know, however many years ago it was. And now here I am mid career. And this happens again. You know, there's a lot of people who, who've unfortunately kind of feel that way. I think that will impact overall spending. No question about it. And that of course is also a big unknown as we look at, at commerce. Um, and uh in demand out there in the market
0: couldn't agree more two two questions to wrap us up they're kind of traditions here on the podcast mm-hmm. the first is and and I have high expectations for your answer here Uh-oh. just to put some <laughs> pressure on you the first is what is an example of a great shopping experience yeah. that you interact with and why and it can't be amazon yeah uh i'm
1: a i'm a tale of two very different kind of shoppers um most of the time i'm definitely a a focused sort of spear fisher uh, who's wants to use search and and uh, in some ways that might explain how i ended up at bloomreach right i think i think it's like a critical capability i want to be able to filter and search based on all kinds of different attributes um and I, and I and I don't mind suggestions and recommendations and so forth as long as it's super transparent uh, to me as a shopper. So, you know, that's probably mode number one. I know what I want. I want it fast. I want a super slick, quick experience, typically via mobile. Um, it's probably like what I would describe as a great shopping experience, number one. I do like things like curbside pickup or, or buy online, pick up in store because I actually, you know, don't mind running errands kind of like it um, when I know it's there, but I don't like making a trip and then not getting what I need. It just really frustrates me. So that's, that would be number one. Number two is more of the serendipitous kind of boutique, lazy Saturday shopping experience. And yeah, I might be with my wife or family or even friends when something like that happens. And that's usually when I find something, I'm like, I had no idea I would ever want that. Um, it's where a lot of my art came from. It's where a lot of the books uh, you know, in my in my office or library came from right. It's where, where you kind of get inspired. That will come back someday. Um, it's I think going to be an increasingly small percentage of spend in the marketplace though, and um, and certainly um, still has an important role. Um, In terms of how we as human beings want to be inspired, engage, that serendipity that happens from those kinds of shopping experiences. Or, you know, the old days when you used to browse a record store by flipping through albums. I love going into used record stores. I I have a vinyl player, you you know, here in the office, and I love buying old vinyl. And I love just flipping through the albums, right? Um, Sorry, but Spotify, I use it all the time. It's not the same, right? It's not the same. It's not the same. So, um, so, uh, you know, those kinds of shopping experiences are also super fun, but they don't, they're not the routine, right? Um, they're most of my, um, consumption, if you will, most of my shopping is going to be very targeted leveraging online and mobile and very much leveraging search.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. That is a very coherent answer. Given where you're (laughs) sitting today at (laughs) Bloomridge.
1: Well, and frankly, as I said earlier, it's how, you know, we've seen the dramatic increase in the use of search during this crisis, um, you know, depending on the site. Um, But it's not unusual in our customer data to see it having doubled in utilization. So if it was 30%, it's now 60%. If it was 10%, it's now 20%. But most, most sites search actually represents a huge percentage of the traffic and conversion. Because obviously also searchers are also much more likely to convert because they know exactly what they're after
0: they That's the spear. Yeah. They're looking, right. they're looking for the fish.
1: That's right.
0: All right. So a couple of more questions and then I'll, then we should probably wrap. Uh, the, the, the first one is, are you an avid podcast listener and which podcasts do you have on your phone right now?
1: Well, I have a ton of podcasts on my phone right now. Um, I'm not sure I would say I listen to all of them regularly. Um, I do listen to Marketplace, the uh, NPR business show, probably daily. You know, I used to listen on the radio years ago, but I don't have a commute anymore. I tend to podcast it. Um, It's how I got the rule that a podcast should be as long as it takes me to clean my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also listen to some other business related podcasts. I do tend to check out the HBR podcast um, occasionally the Jason and Scott show, which is obviously an e-commerce uh, podcast from our old, uh, e-commerce friends. I have a lot of podcasts on my phone. I'll, I'll check out periodically, um, as well. Um, I don't tend to go in for the bro shows that seem so popular. Um, you know, the Ferris and so on. I find them a little tiresome, but, uh, I understand the influence and certainly a lot of my friends are always telling me about things they heard on that show and some crazy new diet they're going to try or something. (laughs) But, uh, but nonetheless, you know, I'm a big fan of podcasting. I love, I love the time shifting and I like podcasting in some ways because it allows me to get a lot of other things done while I'm getting information or getting ideas or frankly, just being entertained. Um, And I don't, I think, you know, this trend toward the video casting and so forth, I think is a little tiresome. I'm like, I really just like the freedom to move around. I do have an unusual experience too right now because I have to listen to my own podcast, of course, as well. That's kind of an interesting experience. I have to say it's a little disconcerting at times, but overall, I've been pretty happy with the episodes and gotten great feedback.
0: Right on. Well, if you like your own voice, you're a psychopath. That's what exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I do have a face for radio though. So that's well, working that, for that me. That
0: worked out. <laughs> if you like your setup, the, the, the viewers won't be able to appreciate the setup, the huge mic. I mean, you're definitely yeah. at the, with the, you know, the, the DJ yeah. headphones. Well, hey,
1: if it involves gear, you know, I'm in.
0: Probably bought them online. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. Well, listen, uh, this has been amazing. I love the detail you shared, a lot of good insights. If people want to get in touch with you and have a dialogue or interact with any of the stuff we've described, yeah. how would they do that?
1: Frankly, I'd, I'd recommend just pinging me on LinkedIn. Um, it's probably the best way. I'm, I'm not good at email anyway, and certainly don't need any more of it. So uh, so ping me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can follow me or link, connect with me there. It's probably the best
0: way. Wonderful. Brian, thank you so much for your time and good luck cleaning that kitchen while listening to All this right. podcast. Wonderful.
1: Jason, thank you so much. Really appreciate you having me on.
0: You've been listening to the Commerce Connect podcast brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.